Welcome to Bear Books for the love of indie. We're here to highlight and amplify self-published authors. We've got April back in front of a microphone for this episode. I'm back, yes. Yeah, I'm... Do you know, aliens are lovely creatures. Yeah, didn't want to keep you though, did they? What are you trying to say? Nothing. I'm not saying that you're trouble at all. I'm a lot of trouble. Yeah, they didn't want to keep me. They did send me back. They only kept me for 24 hours. I think they did a few experiments on me and then sent me back. I'd love to know what they learned. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot. Not a lot. Not to come back to Earth. Don't go back there. We don't want to know anything to do with them. (laughs) Yeah. It's surprising, you know, in this day and age, how much you take sort of technology for granted and the internet for granted and electricity for granted, to be fair. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. She wasn't actually abducted by aliens? No, I wasn't. At least next door I've got a really nice drive. I have to do an episode on my own. I was getting a little bit worried that you didn't need me back. I don't. I do. I do. <laughs> I've missed the conversation. Well, well, anyway, I'm back now and hopefully it won't happen again. I don't think they're having anything done next door. Quite. Excellent. So on this episode then, now that we are back and all present and correct, We are reviewing two indie author books, and they happen to be two that have been written by authors we have interviewed in the past. We have, and didn't we interview both of them on the same season? Were they both in season two? I don't know, I can't remember. (laughs) I I can remember the authors, both authors were very, very, very memorable. I know that Jeanette was was brilliant, her interview was amazing. We talked for hours when we had Jeanette on. We did, I know. And uh, Tina Marie was uh, quite funny, actually, when she was on. And she she had a really, really good sense of humour, which translates into her books as well. However, listen to the review of mine, because I don't think it has into this one, to be fair. Okay, so you are reviewing what book, is it? Um, I'm reviewing a book by Tina Marie called Heaven... I think, oh, my life, I've no idea Heaven in the Moonlight? That's the one, yes. I get mixed up because all the titles are very much similar. (laughs) Okay, and I'm reviewing Jeanette Taylor Ford's The Man Behind the Mask. Um, We'll do your review first. It's just called Behind the Mask. I know what you're reading and you know what I'm reading. (laughs) Okay, I'm reviewing Behind the Mask by Jeanette Taylor Ford. We're rubbish at this, really, aren't we? Shall we We're just dreadful. do the reviews and crack on? Yeah, I think we should. Here's my review of Tina Marie's latest offering. I chose for my book this episode one by an author Daisy and I reviewed in season two, predominantly because I was curious as to what happened to the characters in the next chapter of their lives. So the book that I am reviewing tonight is Heaven in the Moonlight by Tina Marie. The book takes up the story of Mark and Ava, characters that appeared in the earlier trilogy which centred around Ben and Abby. And of course the book fills the reader in on what's happened to them. Not that I'm going to give any of that away, but I will say that they are enjoying a very happy time in their lives. However, back to Mark and Ava, who at the beginning of the story are just housemates, and Ava is dating a guy called Ash. As the story progresses, it becomes apparent that Ash isn't the nicest person in the world which isn't very good for Ava, who was previously dated a guy who abused her and used his position in society and the family money to continue his behaviour with impunity. Mark and Ava's aunt Kim do their best to try and stop the relationship, actually succeeding as the book progressed, but not without a fair share of drama along the way, aided and abetted by Noah and Dean, 
who if you have read Tina Marie's earlier books, you'll be familiar with these two guys. You don't have to read the earlier books to be able to follow the story. However, it does help slightly to put everything into context. What I particularly liked about the book is, again, it's not a straightforward romance. There is a twist of suspense and mystery to move the story along and give it some depth and substance. But as with all modern romances, the ubiquitous sex scenes are included. I was trying to guess who Ash was, but this eluded me, which was a good thing, as I hate a story to be entirely predictable. All in all, it was a pleasant book. It didn't invoke the same type of emotion the first books by Tina Marie did, as I didn't think it was as humorous. However, I can see how the author has grown from the first novels to this one. There was no continuity issues with the book and it did keep my interest right to the end. Maybe I'm a sucker for a happy ending. Not a book to read if you want you, your brain to have a mental workout. So not a page turner in the sense of you have to know what happens next. You can put it down and pick it up later. But good enough as a novel to read in the evening as the nights are now beginning to draw in. you for that so i have a question or two just as a reminder because it's been a long time since season two <laughs> yeah it has so ben and abby were the two main characters in the first book that we reviewed back in season two is that right yes that's correct so abby was uh, the writer and ben yes. was an actor am yes. i remembering that right you are remembering that right and if you remember ava is abby's daughter right um, and, and obviously of course abby is dating Ben, and Ben is a lot younger than Abby. That's right, yes, there was an age gap. Yeah, and Mark is Ben's best friend. Okay, so Mark will be around the same age as Ben then? Yeah, roughly around the same age as Ben. So mother and daughter are dating the same age guys? Mm, yeah, really, so basically, yes. Okay, so you said Ava was in a relationship with Ash who was abusive... Yeah. But she's not in a relationship with him now. She's in a relationship with Mark. Right. Well, you kind of sort of second guess that, and and I have, that's yeah. kind of the yeah, that's the ending of the book. Oh. Basically, at the big yeah. Basically, at the beginning of the book, um, Ava she isn't actually dating anybody, and Ash turns up in the town where she's living, um, and he's a Texan, and he he starts to, you know, he dates Ava. Yeah. He's not a very pleasant guy, not at all. There are one or two things he, he does do. He, he, he drugs her by sticking um, stuff, something in a drink, Wow! basically. Yeah, and he, he takes her off and, and takes her to this house that's pretty sort of, well, secluded, really. Yeah. Now, Noah and Dean are a couple of coppers who help Ben in the last book of the trilogy of the one that we reviewed in season two. Yeah. And they kind of all get involved in all of this. And, and it's quite interesting, actually. And it does keep you, you guessing. And you do have to sort of work out who's who and what's what and where everybody is. Yeah. So is Ash your main antagonist in the whole book then? Yes, Ash is the main antagonist in the whole book. Okay. Um, and obviously his name's not Ash. I'm not going to tell you what his name is. Oh, uh, so he's but, just using a pseudonym type thing, is Yes. It? But there is a link back to Ava's original partner, who she lived with, who was abusive and used the family money to carry on with impunity. So, so do they know each of, other? No. Well, kind of yes and no. She's met him before yeah. because she does think he's a little bit familiar. 
but she met him years ago. What when sort of character with... is he painted as in the book, Ash? Is he because you said he was Texan? Is he like Stetson and Spurs and and no, you know, no, loud no. accents and brash and no, not at all. Not a caricature. He's... No, not a caricature, not at all. He comes across initially as really a pleasant guy. Yeah. But it, it gets to the point where he's not so pleasant, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you did say it's got a happy ending. It does have a happy ending, yes. Oh, um, I do have another question. Go on, then. So you referred to Aunt Kim. Yes. Who sort of saved the day. But you uh, referred... No. She didn't? Yeah, sort of. Sort of saved she helped. Well, she her and Mark saved the day, yeah. Okay. But you referred to her as um, Mark and Ava's aunt. No, uh, sorry, Ava's aunt Kim. Sorry. Ava's, Ava's aunt Kim. Yeah. Or maybe I, that... I, maybe I misheard it. Yeah, okay. maybe. You, no, what I said in the review was Mark and Ava's aunt Kim. So, oh, yeah, I, I see. That's what I meant by that. Yeah, maybe I didn't put the infliction in the right place. So that's cleared all right, that that's up. All right. <laughs> Because I thought, oh, are they related or are they a couple? Because no. it confused me for a second. But they're not. They're a couple in the end. In the end, yeah. Um, Ava and Mark do end up as a couple, yes. Right, okay. So I say I'm a bit of a sucker for a happy ending, I suppose. Do you hear much about Ben and Abby in this one? You do, actually, yeah. But, but at the beginning, it's like a thread that goes through the story, but it's not really pertinent to the story. It's just a bit of background of what's happened to them since they actually got together yeah. um, in, in book three. But they're very happy. Um, I mean, I suppose I can tell you because we, we're books down the line now, really. But, yeah, they've just had a baby. Oh. So Ava's got a, a baby sibling now. That must be kind of weird, you know, to have siblings that are young enough to be your own children. Yeah. But still. Uh, yeah, but still, it's a book. I have a sister that's young enough to be my daughter. Yeah, there you go then, you see. So it happens. It does happen, yes. But you enjoyed this then? I did enjoy it, yeah. Like I say, it wasn't as humorous as the first two, but it's more grown up. So there's a, you can tell that there's, a, a, there's been a growth in the writing, so that the author's growing the more books that she's writing. She's kind of growing a little bit. Do you think she's growing to be more serious, though, if she's losing the humour aspect? Not really, I don't think. Maybe I just didn't find it quite as, as amusing because obviously there was no people mistaking mobile phones for things they weren't. <laughs> yeah, I remember that well, I do. Yeah. But it, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a pleasant book. It's an easy read. It's got, a, like I say, it's got a bit of depth and substance to it because it's got the, the, the ash undercurrent story running through it. Yeah. I tell and you what. To put it all into context for us, yeah. why don't we listen to your reading? Yeah, we can do. You, you might get a little bit more of what's happening from the reading. That'd be perfect. The part of the book that I have chosen to read out needs a little bit of background. Mark and Kim decide to break into Ash's house to prove their theory that he is not who he says he is, at the same time as Noah and Dean decide the same thing, the opportunity presenting itself when Ash is spending the evening with Ava at the house she shares with Mark and Kim. Mark gave her a nod. Got it, let's go, he said. Grabbing her arm, they set off across the road. Halfway across, a car came up the street. Together, they raced across the street and jumped into a stand of bushes. 
Oh my God, I thought that was Ash, Mark panted. Kim started giggling uncontrollably. Mark looked at her as if she was insane. I'm sorry, she waved a hand in front of her face. I'm picturing what we look like in my head and I just can't stop, she squealed. After a minute, she finally composed herself long enough to get on with the mission. Stumbling together, they made their way to the side of Ash's house and headed straight for the fence around the backyard. Kim looked at the height of it, pointing. She said, there is no way in hell I'm going to be able to climb that. Don't worry, I'll boost you up, Mark said. Lacing his fingers together, he leaned forward in front of Kim. Put your foot in my hands, he instructed. Putting her hand on his shoulder, she steadied herself as he slowly stood up. Kim could feel herself swaying. Quickly, she wrapped her arms around his head, hanging on for dear life. I can't see. Grab the damn fence, he yelled into her bosom. I can't. You're like five foot away from it, she cried in alarm. Just put me down before I'm kissing the ground, will you? She felt his hands fall from her foot and grab her waist. Now, will you let go of my head? Kim at once dropped her hands to his shoulders and felt herself being deposited on the ground. OK, this isn't going to work, Mark sighed, looking at the fence. Kim smacked herself in the face. The damn mosquitoes were out in full force. Why can't we just sneak around the front? If we stick close to the house, we should be able to avoid all cameras, don't you think? Mark looked at her and blinked. Why didn't you suggest that ten minutes ago? I figured you were the one calling the shots. She started walking towards the front of the house. Come on. Once again together they made their way along the house, sticking to it like bugs on flypaper. What the hell are you out of breath for? Kim asked as she watched Mark bend over and suck in air. I've been holding it since through the side of the house. Why? Shaking her head, she said. Never mind, come on, if we don't hurry up, Ash will be home before we find out what the hell is in there. Mark pushed the gate open. He cringed as the groan from the rusty hinges echoed between the houses. He found that odd, considering it wasn't like that before. Quickly they entered the yard, leaving the gate ajar. Shouldn't you close it? What if Ash comes home? No, we will be down there. If he comes home, we will more than likely miss him, and if... He comes home and we open it, he will hear it, she finished. Good thinking, Sherlock. Mark pulled a flashlight out of his pocket. Yep, once in a while I have a good idea. Now let's go see what the hell is in that cellar. They were standing at the top of the stairs looking down, both asking themselves if they really wanted to do this. Mark finally took a step down into the darkness. Turn the damn flashlight on, Kim hissed in his ear as she grabbed the back of his shirt. I will, once we get closer to the door... If you haven't noticed, we're still above ground level. Within a second, Mark switched the light on. Before them stood the door to hell. Without a word, Mark reached out a hand and grabbed the doorknob, just as a voice behind them boomed. And just what the hell do you two think you're doing? Kim screamed and Mark kicked the door open in response. The flashlight fell to the cement pad with a thud as Dean and Noah howled with laughter. You assholes, Kim shouted, looking up at them. You should have seen your faces, Noah laughed, coming down the steps, followed by Dean. Why are you two here? she asked, and where the hell is Ash? Dean cleared his throat. Ava and him are watching a movie. We figured you two were here, so we followed you. He put an arm round Kim's shoulder. You know, it helps if you don't yell when you're out staking a place, he smirked and winked at her. The flashlight's beam illuminated the room within. Mark stared straight ahead, his brain not quite registering what his eyes were seeing. Ah, oh, guys, what the hell is that? He said, backing up. 
There stood what appeared to be a watchman at the door, Kim's vampire and Mark's Satan, a male, bald mannequin wearing a cape, staring at them with golden eyes. Dean grabbed the flashlight and pushed past Mark further into the room. The others followed closely behind. Then before them stood row after row of mannequins. It was all so bizarre, but even more so was that each one wore a fur coat in varying lengths. Their unseeing eyes all stared at the photo on the wall as if paying homage to the lady smiling back at them. A chill ran down Mark's back as his eyes took in the photo of the woman. Her beauty was undeniable and one he knew well. It was a photo of Ava. After listening to that, April, I so have to disagree with you. I don't think she's lost any of her humour as a writer at all. I thought that was hilarious. I'd love to go on and romp with Aunt Kim. OK. I suppose I'd give you that one. I think when, when I was kind of reading it to review it, maybe I was looking at it too, I don't know, too flat or, or whatever. But, you know, if you found that funny, I mean, the book is like that all the way through. Yeah. It's got that mystery. It's got that. I suppose there's a bit of slapstick as well, if if you, for want of a better word. So I suppose, yeah, she hasn't lost her humour. I thought the book had more depth to it. It did kind of refer back a little bit. So you, it would have been, it's better if you've actually read the three before it. Yeah. Because then you get what the fur coat means. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there were a lot of fur coats in that. There were a lot of fur coats in that, yes. Well, but it, you Don't get, give away you, what they mean then, because then, you know. But if we know everything up front, we haven't got a reason to read them. No, that's true. You haven't. But it, it is really, it's quite interesting. And it, it's, it all does all fall together in the end. Yeah. I actually think that I'm more inclined to read this book than I was the first one. I would actually go and pick this one up on the strength of that reading. It was interesting. I'm not going to deny it at all. It, it was actually interesting. And like you say... If you can just, because I'm not a great lover of sex in books, not that kind of sex. It's like, oh, it's meaningless, this. It's just there for the sake of it. Yeah. But I suppose it it wasn't really, I don't suppose, there for the sake of it. It did have a, a part to play in the story. It had a part to play in Ava and Mark's relationship. Yeah. And the way that their relationship, I won't say progressed, because it kind of didn't progress, really. Everybody else has known forever that they've been in love with each other, but they've just not known it. Oh, it's one of those. It's one of those, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I know they got together now. <laughs> oh, bless. I'm to second guess that one. <laughs> you wouldn't second guess it as you're going through it, because what you get from the initial part of the book is that you believe that Ava actually is quite into Ash. Yeah. It's only as things start to happen that her eyes start to open and she begins to feel that things are not right. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It is absolutely worth a read. And I do think and feel as a writer that she's grown from the first books that we read. I won't say she's grown up. I would say there's more of a maturity and more of a depth to it. Yeah, I would agree from the reading. If I, if that's all I've got to base it on at this moment in time, I think I would agree with you. Yeah, and it's got other characters that and things that happen in and around to, to sort of interweave into what's happening with Ava and Ash yeah. and Ava and Mark and the way Aunt Kim's got her sort of part to play. So there is a, you know, that there actually is something there. 
Yeah. And it's actually quite nice. I, I did feel quite, I'll use the word comforting, that when I opened the book, I actually knew some of these characters already. Yeah, I understand that. That's, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. So it felt, it felt really like I'd kind of sort of come home, really, in, in a way that you could get lost in these characters' lives. And that's one of the things I've got to say that I found quite clever about a writing is whilst it's not a book for the, you know, for the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, for the highly intellectual, yeah. it is a book that does draw you in and make you think that you're kind of part of what's going on. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, if, if anybody is looking for something that they're not wanting to have to think about too much, then, yeah, I would recommend give them a try. It is something just to have on the Kindle a good couple of days of uh, maybe two or three hours a day of reading it and you're going to get through it. But I'd ever, I didn't find it boring either. Oh, that's good. None of it was boring and none of it was waffle. All of the content of the book had a reason to be in the book. Oh, I like that. There's nothing worse than sitting reading a book and all of a sudden you've realised that you've wandered off and you're yes. not even reading the words any longer because it's just completely lost your interest. Yeah. So it's not like that. There is, there is a, you know, it does flow. And Eleanor as well, who's in the book, you kind of sort of, I felt really, really sorry for Eleanor. She didn't deserve what she got. Oh, see? I'm not, there's not something I don't know. So there's another reason to read it. Yeah, not going to say any more at all. Not mm. any more at all. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. We'll move on to reviewing Jeanette Taylor Ford's Behind the Mask then. Here's what I had to say about that. I'd not heard of cosy crime as a genre really before April and I read and reviewed Jealousy's Murder on an earlier season of the podcast. And now that I am introduced to the genre, this book gives me a vague kind of murder she wrote vibe, but missing the protagonist main character. Gary Roper is the title antagonist in this story. He is the man behind the mask. A happy-go-lucky travelling salesman type is what most people see, but his wife Daisy knows different. And thankfully she did in time and with the support of a friend who paid the highest price for giving that help, run away from him to a new life at Riverview. What I liked most about this book was the way, as a reader, I was thrown straight in at the deep end. The lives people lead behind closed doors... It's a wonder they can paint on a smile and go play normal in the outside world on a day-to-day -day basis. The first half, maybe two-thirds of this book, is engaging, addictive, nicely paced. I didn't want to put it down. I was angry at Gary and his behaviour towards Daisy. He was like a petulant, nasty child, taking out his temper on his wife, yet annoyed that she wasn't making more effort for him. Gary did have pressures of his own that influenced his behaviour that I won't go into. You'll find those out when you read the book. But he brought those on himself, so I had no sympathy for him at any point in the book. And I'm guessing that's how Jeanette intended her reader to feel. There are lots of well-thought-out plot twists to keep your interest, characters you want to tut at, some you want to feel sorry for, and some you may be surprised at. For a fairly short book, there is an awful lot going on. I feel like this was a story written in two different mindsets. 
like Jeanette wrote the first two thirds of this book then went away to do some other project or life stuff and came back at a later time with a different mindset to write the last third. And let's talk about Daisy for a second. She started out as a main character, but she soon faded into the background. Maybe because she was written as the kind of woman life happens to. She seemed to live her life according to how other people made her feel, or based on other people's actions. And I know there are people that live their lives exactly like this so it's not a criticism of the character as much as a personal preference that I'd have liked her to have more attitude. I think the only thing I was a bit disappointed in, not that it ruined the story in any way, was how easy everything was. What I mean by that is that Daisy needed to leave Gary so a living job in the perfect location appeared as if by magic. Or Farmer Ted was worried that his daughter wasn't being seen for the wonderful person she was, and as soon as that worry was voiced, there was a knock at the door from a suitor bearing flowers. The last third of the book wasn't so much a story winding up or down to the various outcomes, than it was a series of answers to all the loose ends, and far too many characters for my tired old mind to keep up with. Overall, I enjoyed this story. It was a bit rushed towards the end, but I won't let that put me off reading more of this author's cosy crime. She has a most excellent imagination, so watch this space. That's a very interesting review. Sort of talking about cosy crime. I wouldn't have put Jeanette Taylor Ford into that cosy crime genre. What would you say she was? No, I suppose it is cosy crime. I mean, what what is that sort of cosy crime? I mean, I like the way you sort of describe Gary, the way you describe Daisy, about she didn't do things, things happened to her. Yeah, yeah. So, it's like she wasn't responsible for her own life, really, because her life was what other people made it. Okay. So is there any indication through the book that that's not how she lives it for the rest of her life? No, I think that is how she lives her life. I think she's that type of woman. I think she's written as that type of woman. Like, even when she was leaving Gary, she didn't go and find herself another job and get herself moved. Her friend did it for her. And when she moved to the new job, the new people sort of took her in and under their wing and taught her everything and introduced her to everyone. And she pretty much stayed insular within the new setting that she'd got herself into okay but she, she, she wasn't proactive I don't think she was more of a reactive type of person okay another thing that you said in your review as well that, that Gary was influenced his behaviour was influenced by something else yeah I want to know how you can justify somebody's abuse as, as being influenced by something else nothing excuses that absolutely 100 percent. i'm not justifying anything that gary did what i was saying is i had no sympathy or or any kind feeling towards gary at any point in the book it was the stuff that was influencing the behavior that he took home he absolutely 100 percent bought on himself through his own bad behavior again somebody right. else had caught wind of something wrong and very, very bad that he'd done. I don't want to spoil that for the new readers that have not read it yet. 
Um, and then the person that found out about it was then blackmailing him into doing stuff he didn't want to do and remaining a bigger criminal than he was in the first place. That actually sounds quite interesting. Yeah, it is so, interesting. The title of the book, Behind the Mask, yeah. and you said that that was Gary behind the mask. Yes, it is. So is this mask an actual mask or is this a mask that's of someone's persona? Metaphorically speaking, right. everybody has their front that they present to the world. They do, yeah. So like they're for, as a, just a vague example, there are a lot of people that are carrying around anxiety and mental health problems at the moment and they go to work every day with a big smile on their face. They're going to work with a mask on. They are. That's just, so that's Gary, kind Gary of is a chipper, happy-go-lucky salesman travelling from farm to farm and looking after people's equipment, etc. But behind the mask is an abusive husband that takes out every little thing that's gone wrong in his life on his poor wife. Okay. So does it have a happy ending or what? I don't want to give too much away. Gary remains prevalent to the story all the way through the book. Yeah. Um, good, bad or indifferent, everything that he goes through. He does want to find Daisy, as people that look on their other halves as possessions are want to do when they decide for themselves they're not staying in the abusive relationship. But even though he was like, I've got to find her, I've got to find her, he had a child with somebody else and he liked this woman for this thing. But from my experience, from what I've seen in films and read in books previously, and there's no reason why Jeanette needed to follow everybody else's example, and she hasn't, but my past experience would say that somebody that is obsessive about a woman and is hell-bent on finding the runaway and bringing her back under his command wouldn't be interested enough to go off seeing other women on the hunt because it's like a single-minded tunnel vision type of, I've got to get my possession back, how dare it leave me? Yeah. But maybe that's, she wanted to book the system and do something slightly different with Gary. Okay. So you're saying that he's not the normal control freak, or maybe he's, his control waxes and wanes? Yes, it does wax and wane, I think. There are moments where Jeanette hints ever so slightly that Gary might have a conscience. Okay. But having a conscience doesn't stop him doing the bad things that he does. Having a conscience doesn't let him actually think to himself, well, I know I've abused Daisy because he does realise that and why he did it. So why doesn't he just leave her be and let her go away and live her life and take that on himself and say, well, I don't deserve to have her back. Why is he still going after her if he actually realises that he's done bad? Okay, so he, he, he has got some remorse then. I think he oh, knows okay. why he's done it, but he thinks it's because other people have got into his head and it's affected his behaviour. He's still not seeing the bigger picture in that they're only in his head because he did wrong in the first place to let them in. Right, okay. That's, that's really interesting that you, you are selling this to me. <laughs> it is a good book. Yeah, you're selling it to me. When I first picked it up to read it, Three hours later, I'm, I'm like up for air and needing a cup of tea because it was it just engrossed me. It was okay. really, really good beginning. So worth a read then, in your opinion? Yes. She's a good enough writer for me to want to read other stuff that she's done. I like the style of her writing. I like her characters. It 
was like a book in two parts for me, as I said in my review. The first half was well-paced and a and, and natural flow and you were following along the story. And the second, maybe not, maybe not the second half, but the last third was a bit glib, a bit easy, a bit just, I need to answer these questions and wrap it up now I'm done. Right, I'm with you. A bit too okay. quickly written. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I still can't get over the fact that, that Gary, and I don't like him at all, I've not read the book, but I don't like the man. <laughs> Good. That how can he justify abusing somebody because it's somebody else's fault? It's nobody else's fault but his. Exactly. That he has abused somebody. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, before I get on Miss Soapbox, maybe we should have a listen to your reading. Okay, so with this reading then, what I've decided to do is give you the same experience that I had and I'm going to read the very beginning of the book so that you can see what, exactly what I mean. Okay. Gary Roper slammed the car door and stomped into the house. Daisy, where's my dinner? Daisy Roper appeared from the sitting room, the sound of the television becoming slightly louder when she opened the door. The table's set for you. It's been keeping warm. You're awfully late. She hurried away to another room. He dumped his briefcase on the floor and kicked off his shoes, leaving them where they fell, and followed her. As he entered the kitchen, she was putting two plates of food onto the table opposite each other. Beer. She hastened to the fridge and took out a can, popped it open and placed it on the table by his right hand. He took a long drink and put it down, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. I needed that. Daisy sidled to the chair opposite and began to eat, keeping her gaze on her plate. He watched as she raised a small bite of potato to her mouth and chewed, her head still down. She took another bite. After she'd taken several bites, he picked up his own knife and fork and slung them down onto the plate. She jumped at the sound of the cutlery hitting the plate. What's this rubbish? he shouted. Hard as rock, I can't eat it. You haven't had any yet, she replied, her eyes defiant for once. He looked shocked that she'd answered him back, but it wasn't enough. He flung the plate on the floor where it broke and scattered food, gravy spattering the tiles. She stood up, an automatic reaction to his actions and then sank down again. Your loss, she said quietly, and resumed eating. Incensed, he grabbed her plate and flung that on the floor too. If I don't eat, nor do you, he shouted. With fear on her face, she stood before him, her blue eyes wide, her blonde hair not looking as neat as it had when he'd arrived. Keeping his eyes on her, he drank the rest of his beer. Another... Trying to avoid the food on the floor, she moved to the fridge and handed him another beer. Snatching it, he popped it open and drank. She began to move away, but he caught hold of her wrist, which stopped her immediately. Twisting her arm so she couldn't move without causing herself further pain, he made her stand there while he drained the can. When he'd put it down, he caught hold of her chin and twisted her head so she had to look at him, for she'd tried to keep her face away. I'm going out. You better have this lot cleaned up before I come back and don't serve me this rubbish again. Do you hear me? With every word, he shook her face, gripping her chin tightly while she gazed at him with frightened eyes. Do you hear me? He said again, and she nodded slightly within the little movement he allowed her. 
He flung her away from him and she fell on the floor on top of the scattered food. You're pathetic, do you know that? He sneered. That's harsh. I know. That's Gary. And that's a very stark start to a book. Exactly, yeah. It just, it like I say in my review, she chucks you straight in at the deep end. Absolutely. I mean, straight away you hate the man. Yeah. And all that was going through my mind while you were reading that was your pathetic wimp. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what, what big of a man does it take to downgrade a woman? It doesn't. I mean, she's right. Daisy was right. He didn't try it. Have a yeah. go at it. Eat it. You didn't try it. I'm really curious to know what's happening to him that's, in his words, excusing his bad, bloody behaviour. Yeah, yeah. I d well, I would tell you, but I don't want to, because if no. you read the book... I am going to read the book. I don't want you to tell me. Yeah. Um, I am really, really curious, but it's a very... It's, it's a stark reading, and does the book continue like that? Has it got that sharpness and that brutality to it all the way through? It's a strange read. So, yes, when it's anything to do with Gary and Gary's attitude or Gary's actions, but as the book progresses, Gary's actions, while still bad, he tries occasionally to do something nice for somebody, not his wife, but other people. Okay. But it's not consistent and it's still within the realms of being a criminal. Okay. So it's only really decent on Gary's part, not on the rest of humanity's part. So are you telling me that Gary is a criminal? Yeah, he is. Ah, right, okay. That gives me a bit more context in which to, to sort of maybe... Well, I won't, no, I won't use the word understand no. what he's doing. To get the perspective of why he's behaving like he is. Yeah. So he's living under constant stress, constant strain, constant fear all the time. Still doesn't excuse him taking it out on his wife. And I think if I'd have been her, I'd have been inclined to pick the plate up and smacked him right over the head with it. I do agree with what you're saying in that being a criminal and being abusive, they're two completely separate things. There is no reason that if you are a criminal, you would have to be abusive as well. And there must be so many criminals in the world that aren't. In fact, their wives or husbands probably think they're the nicest person in the world because they yeah. just don't take it home because being a crim part of being a criminal, I should imagine, is keeping that under wraps and not letting other people know what you are. Well, I was going to say, isn't being a, crim a criminal a bit like having a day job? <laughs> a secret one. <laughs> yeah. Not like one moonlighting. Yeah, not one you can put on your CV, really, is it? <laughs> no, not really, no. <laughs> it, is in, it is interesting, and that, that first part of the... That first chapter, I think Jeanette's got it right there, that that hooks you right into the book. It really does. Yeah, she did. She played a blinder there. Absolutely, because he's, he's just chucked his dinner all over the floor, he's had a go at his wife, he's had a couple of cans of beer, and now he's buggering off out. Yeah, he is awful. Just leaving her there on the floor amongst all the mess. I have got to say that that, in my mind, and this is not a correct assumption, but it's just the, the picture that I have in my mind, mm. is it, it kind of gives me to understand that that's kind of the 1960s, the 1970s. I see. I see where you're coming from. It gives me the impression of the wife at home, because obviously society's not like that these days. 
that's not the norm where the wife stays at home and the husband does the, mm. he's the breadwinner and pays all the bills, etc., etc. But that just takes me back to that kind of thing. And, and yes, I was born in the 60s, the very early 60s, I hasten to add. <laughs> give me a bit of a context as to how old I am. It throws up that picture in my mind that that's where we're at. Yeah, I can see what, where you're coming from completely because listening to just that first bit is listening to it out of context because Daisy does actually go to work. But because we meet her at home, being the little wife, you know, you, you jump to certain... You, you make do. assumptions, yeah. But she does go to work and it is her boss, who is also her friend, that helps her get out from under Gary's grasp. Okay. I mean, the bit that you've read and the review that you gave has made me, again, want to think, right, again, I'm going to pick that up and I am going to read it. Um, I've got some time off in October from the day job yeah. um, where I'm hoping I don't have to spend it all on my allotment and I've got some time to rest and relax. So, you know, I've got a list of books and, and that one's going on that on that list. Yeah. So the stuff that Jeanette Taylor Ford writes, I do like to read. It's been quite sweet today to, to sort of do the reviews of, of authors that we've reviewed in a previous season. It's kind of like what we we knew. We know these people. I am exactly the same as you there. I feel like these are our authors, like we know these people. Yeah. And she actually brought me a copy of The Ghosts of Roseby Hall round and we sat outside when when lockdown lifted and we had a cup of coffee in the garden. It was really nice, actually, just to have a chat to her. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, that's definitely got me, uh, got, got me interest, Pete. So what about next episode? What's coming up next? Oh, right. So the next episode for Bear Books, we are back on a flash fiction. Talking of flash fiction, young lady, I oh, hope yeah, you are going to... Um, Fill in the gaps, as it were, and send me the copy of whatever you wrote for the scam so I can add I it will. to the anthology. I absolutely will. Yeah, that was complete a disaster, that. Well, as you said in the introduction, I'm sure everyone will forgive you. I'm sure they will. So, Dirty Weekend ooh, is, ooh, is the writing yeah. prompt, so I am expecting some raunchy stuff. Yes, me too. I should imagine we'll get something raunchy from Dean. He's rather good at that. Yeah, that's his forte. He loves that absolutely, sort of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely his forte. <laughs> right, so until next time, guys, you keep safe. We'll see you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. 